You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keith, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. The Asian global region is fertile ground for meat analog R&D, and a region with such a long history with non-meat proteins, and with so many people to feed, should be an easy sell for meat analogs, right? Well, not so fast. The role of food in Asian cultures is fundamentally different from experiences in the Americas, Europe, or even Australia and New Zealand and Kerry Matwick, a linguist and senior lecturer at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, has been studying the intersection of food and culture across the globe for years. In this episode of Meeting Pod, Matwick discusses the Asian consumer's experience and what non-Asian marketers often get wrong about building a customer base there. A production note, The interview was recorded in Singapore at an outdoor cafe on a rainy afternoon, so there's more background noise than is usual for a podcast. I hope it helps you imagine being in that place, listening in on our conversation. How would you explain to people in the alternative meat part of the industry, what is it about, I'm going to say Asian cultures, plural, because every country has a very different history, very different culture, very different set of priorities. What is it that most alt-protein companies, which tend to be Western in terms of origin, what would you say is what they don't understand about Asian culture and in the relationship with food? Would you tell other people they need to learn, they need to bone up on in terms of studies? Well, I would say that the understanding around nutrition is so different here. You know, in Western society, it's a lot more about macronutrients, micronutrients, carbs. We we distinguish ingredients so much more. But here, it's just like, you know, I think a lot of it is the labeling of ingredients isn't nearly as regulated. Oh, Or like even on menus, we don't see calories. You know, like in the United States, we had for a while regulations of, you know, frappuccino was 300 calories. Well, here, we don't see any of that. And, And very few listings of actually what... The ingredients are, you know, or it's just a lot more of like about what is the food, what is the dish, not so much what nutrition profile does it have. And I think it's just a different approach to food. Why would that be, you know, Americans just get all wrapped up in the details, specifically Americans yeah. and Europeans, but why wouldn't an ingredient list be as important? Maybe I should just ask, why would an ingredient list be less important in the relationship to food? Well, I think a good comparison is thinking of food as medicine versus, like, food as, like, a science. Like, here in Asia, it's more, you know, food in the sense of not, I think it's not as, how would we describe it? It's not as rational, but, like, in the U.S., we think of it more from the, you know, the Renaissance with, like, the Divigini, and, and then even the U.S. invention of the calorie is really helps quantify our food, seeing it more as like, oh, it's a source of energy, you know, it's how much energy is needed to burn this thing. And so I think that started to help think of food really abstractly. 
as like this thing that gives me energy rather than in like kind of separating it from the emotions and the society and the culture so I think that separate like mind over body that's what the, I think the western thought really goes for very interesting yeah I had not put da Vinci into my thought about the relationship between society and food but the way you just explained it made perfect sense <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> yeah because here it seems to be just more accepted about like food is a source of comfort and you know they work so hard and then there's this sense of going home and having this shared broth I mean it's a little idealistic but how I'm describing it but there is a sense of eating together and you know not so much thinking of how many protein how much calories how much fats in this particular dish so I see okay I had not thought of it that way given this difference in approach I understand you're speaking in broad strokes but that's a very interesting perspective what would that mean would you think to an alt protein and particularly an alt and meat analog company trying to manufacture trying to market their product this side of the pacific and again i realize different countries different story but is there a way to sort of make a statement about that yeah i would think really knowing their target audience like the younger generation could understand the importance of protein like i'm thinking of my students who are right early 20s they are i the boys know about protein and they go to the gym and they know chicken has a lot of protein so there is that younger generation but so if a company's trying to track that then they could still promote the protein profile. But if they're trying to promote like a, the middle class or even a little bit, or not middle class, middle aged or older, then I think emphasize more how their product could be used in a traditional Chinese ingredient or Asian dish. Like how could it be used in Pad Thai? How could you use it in you know, some of the bakute, which is like a pork broth? How could you use the same ingredient showing in like that it's side by side it's the same but this one's just healthier for the environment and i think kind of pushing more maybe other values like that i see because i'm thinking if i'm my age but i'm asian and i'm not and i haven't been raised in this idea of you know knowing every single mathematical and scientific detail of every bite that i put in my mouth then i might look at the two products side by side and go why would i go to this thing that i'm not familiar with when I've been cooking all my life with, you know, pork, and I know what that's going to do. So, I mean, in terms of the marketing, I mean, is there a really compelling message that some of these companies that are trying to get any of the any of the analogs, which are you know fermented, the mycelium or the plant-based or the cultivated, is there any one message that would sort of make a difference to an Asian consumer in terms of? Yeah, I've put them side by side and it's, you know, this is better for the planet. And other than that, what's the selling point? <laughs> Tastes good. Okay. <laughs> I think. Unless it doesn't. And I think the way to only really sell a product is it has to taste good. Better than the original. Yeah. Ideally, even better. And certainly doesn't cost more. That's also hard. I think those are those main challenges of an all protein company is. Yeah, taste, affordability, and 
familiarity too is getting it in a language and a form that's familiar because really you know these companies they could scaffold these meat these meats really into any shape they wanted right you know they could really create a whole new animal yeah you know but they're smart in choosing to do it like you know we all are familiar conceptually with chicken we know what that right. is and the salmon and and a lot of the companies now they almost know their targets like the high end so for example there's umami bioworks who's mm -hmm. going to talk they, they're mm -hmm. a seafood company here in singapore and i know that they're only doing high line like endangered seafood it's so like japanese eel and mm -hmm. red snapper and you know so they know that they'll be able to price well and Aleph yeah. farms who's an israeli company here in singapore yeah they're working on nice steak ribeye steak and stuff like that so when you see alt proteins being marketed in asia in different parts of asia mm. what do you see as being like the biggest error that companies are making that make an asian consumer roll their eyes and go are you kidding me oh I think trying to copy um, like Beyond Meat and, and Impossible Burger too much, you know, because they really? where they're trying to take the same flashy look and like bright colors and bold statements. I think it's almost too much like them. Where I I don't know I, I because every time I see actually an Asian product that looks like them, I'm thinking it won't be as good. I don't know why I get that sense, but I think... It um, won't be as good as Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat, or yeah. it won't be as good as... As Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat. Oh, okay. Just because they've set such the precedent, such the, like... I almost feel like they're... The problem is when they try to follow too much. And they just... And then I don't see how they could be better, because they don't have the R&D, they don't have, you know, everything right. else. Yeah, the recipe, you know. Are there Asian brands or things that are maybe more homegrown in the region that are also popular, or is it is it that lore of beyond and impossible? Well, there are products that should be capitalized on. Like chickpeas grow really well, like in Southeast Asia. No one really knows about that, and like um, and soy, obviously, that's such an irony. Like. You know, soy started in China, then finally gets to the U.S. around 1800s. Well, now we're exporting over 50% of our products back to China. <laughs> I mean, it's such an, it's so interesting. Like, I mean, it just shows how Americans have never really adopted mainstream in our diets, but how it's still, soy is still just an important part of Asian diet. What has been some of the most effective marketing that you've seen? I think when they try to say that I'm we're one of you, or like I'm like you, that like say a, so a Singaporean startup company saying I'm from Singapore mm -hmm. and kind of like by buying my product, you're helping support me, which helps this community here right. and be you know in East Coast or and then it therefore benefits Singapore. I think if the best marketing is showing how that you're benefiting, like. The local area, where like the individual themselves, and then yeah. how the in the greater community that they can personally relate to. What do you see in the acceptability of these folk proteins in Asian societies? You mentioned taste and, and price, and sure anybody will try it, but that to get to that place where it's that emotional 
role to play and, and that real intersection of food and what it means in society. Is there a point or a way, a path that you can see for alternative proteins to get there? Well, for Singapore, it's interesting because there aren't really farms. Right. For Singaporeans, they're not dealing with like the romanticization that like say Americans have of the farmer, the red barns, yeah. you know, the rugged cowboy. We, they don't have any of that memory here, you know that. Yeah. So in Singapore, I think it's more driving in their, like, they're very pragmatic. Yeah. And very, also financially driven. Like, if it's the same price, then I think they're, they're they would be willing to try. Like, if, if it's like a, like chicken rice. Right. I don't think really they would matter to them where the chicken comes from. Okay. So long as it's the same price and tastes the same. Honestly, like, I don't, for the vast majority. It's not such the push for like all natural, organic, you know, it's, that's such a small expensive market here that to get the majority on board, like it's really more the expats, like, like Australians in particular, who really promote, you know, organic and natural. I think that push wouldn't necessarily work so well here just because it's, not a priority. What do you see as sort of the future for alternative proteins with dairy mm. and the alternative meats in Asian society? Is there a real long term? I mean, because American companies look at the population centers and the fact that more than half the world's population is considered Asian and they go, ooh, goody, goody, goody. But it's not that simple. What do you see in the future for? these sorts of the manufactured and the kind of the scientifically analyzed versions of their proteins. Do you see a future for them? Or maybe there's a niche market and it's not, you know, how do you see this developing, do you think? Yeah, so alternative milks are interesting because, you know, soy milk has long been a part of uh, Asian diets and, you know, so many are lactose intolerant anyways. Uh huh. But we have to think about how they're consuming the milk you know it's we're we're coming from an american perspective we're like oh milk and cereal of course well you know here it's not they don't start off breakfast with yeah milk and cereal right western coffee is a relatively new thing to hear you know we are seeing the most presence i'm seeing of alternative milks are these high-end coffee shops oat milk especially oat milk soy milk and almond milk and oat milk seems to be getting good traction here I think because of the taste, you know, it's a very nice, sweet, rich taste. Yeah. And then, but all the other milks are like coconut milk and, you know, that are more uh, like very familiar ingredients here, but they're, again, they're not drinking it like we are by the glasses. Right. Coconut milk is used in cooking and, you know, they do buy the soy milk boxes, but it's traditionally wasn't, you know, it was not, again, Right, exactly. So that seems to be a little more sort of automatically accepted. That's part of the history. That's a familiar thing. Does any of that recognition port over to a meat analog, or the meat analog just has a much bigger hill to climb in terms of working its way, if it's going to work its way into the social fabric and become sort of an assumption as opposed to mainstreamed, as opposed to like, you know, appealing to a few forward-thinking or leading-edge consumers? I'm seeing it as, so far, they're looking like trends, like our fat. I think, once again, it's 
down to taste a lot of it again and then getting it available to people availability yeah yeah you know interestingly the other thing is probably an asian preference in taste is probably very very different from a european or an american or a latin american yeah exactly understanding the palate yeah how that's so culturally because you know biologically we learn to develop our flavors but right. so understanding what <clears throat> textures like here there's a lot more range of textures you know americans we love crunchy but here you know they're okay about you know the gelatinous textures and you yeah. know we call it slimy but here you know it's more like chewy my conversation with carrie was a highlight of my trip to singapore late last year her expertise gave me brand new food for thought regarding the global alt-meat market. Our thanks to Carrie for sharing her point of view with Meeting Pod and Alt-Meat. You can read more on the present and future of all the alt-proteins on our website at alt-meat.net. Registration is free. You can also go there to subscribe to our daily newsletter and print magazine dedicated to the business of alternative meats. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>